0: Daniel in the Lion's Den. The story we read today takes us back to the mythical city of Babylon, that great capital of an empire on the banks of the Euphrates, acclaimed for those legendary hanging gardens that were one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. According to the Greek historian Herodotus, in Babylon there was also a tower almost 90 meters high which is the height of a modern 30-story building, imagine that, and several colossal gold statues that weighed many tons. The prophet Daniel was transported there as a prisoner after the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians back in the year 587 before Christ, at the end of a terrible siege that lasted a couple of years. Daniel was a very young teenager then, no more than 12, probably 13 years old. All these events were bound to be extremely traumatic. Can you imagine the implications of living in a city under siege for two years? Terrible things. Thousands and thousands of people deprived of water, food, medicines, communications, sleep, and hope. Today we see it happen in Yemen, courtesy of the Saudis. This is how the book of Lamentations, written by the poet and prophet Jeremiah, who was an eyewitness to the fall of Jerusalem, describes what he sees happening around him at the time. out with the garbage, priceless jewels scattered all over, jewels loose in the gutters. And the people of Zion, once prized, far surpassing their weight in gold, are now treated like cheap pottery, like everyday pots and bowls mass-produced by a potter. Even wild jackals nurture their babies, give them their breasts to suckle, but my people have turned cruel to their babies like an ostrich in the wilderness. Babies have nothing to drink. Their tongues stick to the roofs of their mouths. Little children ask for bread, but no one gives them so much as a crust. People used to the finest cuisine forage for food in the streets. People used to the latest in fashion speak through the thrash for something to wear. The evil guilt of my dear people was worse than the sin of Sodom. The city was destroyed in a flash, and no one around to help. The splendid and sacred nobles once glowed with health. Their bodies were robust and ruddy, their beards like carved stone. But now they are smeared with soot, unrecognizable in the street, their bones sticking out, their skin dried out like old leather. Better to have been killed in battle than killed by starvation. Better to have died of battle wounds than to slowly starve to death. Nice and kindly women boiled their own children for supper. This was the only food in town when my dear people were broken. Two years of hunger and constant danger, nightmarish deprivation and restlessness, culminate with the fall of Jerusalem. Did you notice that Jeremiah's text says, Nice and kindly women boiled their own children for supper. What extremes of horror and desperation did these wretches have to go through to survive more than 700 days? What would you and I do in such circumstances to feed our children and ourselves? And for all this suffering, in the end, Babylonian troops still razed the city, tore down its walls, looted, and then destroyed the incomparable Temple of Solomon, the most glorious temple ever, anywhere, the Temple of Solomon and took the hungry and emaciated survivors as captives. Zedekiah, the Jewish king at the time, was forced to witness the beheading of his sons, and only then did they gorge his eyes out and took him to die broken, blind, and captive in exile. The boy Daniel was in that caravan of terrified and starving captives, The siege, the struggle, hunger, cruelty, and death are all events that he lived through very intensely when he was only 10 or 12 years of age. His remarkable intelligence and supernatural gift to interpret King Nebuchadnezzar's strange dreams will open the way for him in his new city, Babylon, where decades later he will become prime minister of the new invading king, Darius. Do you remember the story of Joseph in Egypt that unfolds a thousand years earlier than that of Daniel, and is an echo of Daniel's story in many of its details? Leave me a comment to tell me if you'd want us to read Joseph's amazing story here. But today, we stay with Daniel, who, being in the peak of his power and influence, is betrayed and thrown into the lion's den. Darius reorganized his kingdom. He appointed 120 governors to administer all the parts of his realm. Over them were three vice-regents, one of whom was Daniel. The governors reported to the vice-regents, who made sure that everything was in order for the king. But Daniel, brimming with spirit and intelligence, so completely outclassed the other vice-regents and governors, that the king decided to put him in charge of the whole kingdom. The vice regents and governors got together to find some old scandal or skeleton in Daniel's life that they could use against him, but they couldn't dig up anything. He was totally exemplary and trustworthy. They could find no evidence of negligence or misconduct, so they finally gave up and said, we're never going to find anything against this Daniel unless we can cook up something religious. The vice-regents and governors conspired together and then went to the king and said, King Darius, live forever. We've convened your vice-regents, governors, and all your leading officials and have agreed that the king should issue the following decree. For the next 30 days, no one is to pray to any god or mortal except you, O king. Anyone who disobeys will be thrown into the lion's den. Issue this decree, O king, and make it unconditional, as if written in stone, like all the laws of the Medes and the Persians. King Darius signed the decree. When Daniel learned that the decree had been signed and posted, he continued to pray just as he had always done. His house had windows in the upstairs that opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he knelt there in prayer, thanking and praising his God. The conspirators came and found him praying, asking God for help. They went straight to the king and reminded him of the royal decree that he had signed. Did you not, they said, sign a decree forbidding anyone to pray to any god or man except you for the next thirty days, and anyone caught doing it would be thrown into the lion's den? Absolutely, said the king, written in stone, like all the laws of the Medes and Persians. Then they said, Daniel, one of the Jewish exiles, ignores you, O king, and defies your decree three times a day, he prays. At this, the king was very upset and tried his best to get Daniel out of the fix he'd put him in. He worked at it the whole day long. But then the conspirators were back, Remember, O king, it's the law of the Medes and Persians that the king's decree can never be changed. The king caved in and ordered Daniel brought and thrown into the lion's den. But he said to Daniel, Your God, to whom you are so loyal, is going to get you out of this. A stone slab was placed over the opening of the den. The king sealed the cover with his signet ring and the signet rings of all his nobles, fixing Daniel's fate. The king then went back to his palace. He refused supper. He couldn't sleep. He spent the night fasting. At daybreak, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. As he approached the den, he called out anxiously, Daniel! Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve so loyally, saved you from the lions? O king, live forever, said Daniel. My God sent his angel, who closed the mouths of the lions so that they would not hurt me. I've been found innocent before God and also before you, O king. I've done nothing to harm you. When the king heard these words, he was happy. He ordered Daniel taken up out of the den. Then, when he was holed up, there wasn't a scratch on him. He had trusted his God. Then the king commanded that the conspirators who had informed on Daniel be thrown into the lions' den, along with their wives and children. Before they hit the floor, the lions had them in their jaws, tearing them to pieces. King Darius published this proclamation to every race, color, and creed on earth. I decree that Daniel's God shall be worshipped and feared in all parts of my kingdom. He is the living God, world without end. His kingdom never falls. His rule continues eternally. He is a savior and rescuer. He performs astonishing miracles in heaven and on earth. He saved Daniel from the power of the lions. From then on, Daniel was treated well during the reign of Darius and also in the following reign of Cyrus, the Persian. This is the story of an honest man being harassed and accused by envious colleagues. Has it ever happened to you? Have you ever ended up in the lion's den for acting with integrity? The pit into which Daniel is thrown is an underground dungeon with a small hole above it as the only entrance or exit, a gap that could then be covered with iron bars or a stone slab, a heavy rock. According to Assyrian texts before Daniel, those who broke an oath were thrown into cages of wild animals in the main square of the city, so that everyone could see them being torn to pieces and devoured. These were mean and violent times. Only ISIS has perpetrated similar cruelties in the name of Islam in our days. We already said that in the year 587 BC, the Babylonians had destroyed Jerusalem. But these events take place decades later. The Persians are the new masters. The Persian King Darius managed to snatch the empire from the Babylonians in the year 539 B.C., almost 40 years after the fall of Jerusalem, when Daniel had been transported as a captive to Babylon, being barely a child. Darius named 120 satraps, or governors, to help him manage his new empire. Over these 120 satraps, he appointed three regents, and Daniel was one of these three regents. Daniel so distinguished himself among the three regions that Darius already had plans to give him control of the entire kingdom. But behold, every person with power and influence attracts many enemies. And Daniel's enemies, very conscious of their alleged racial superiority, did not appreciate the suggestion that a Jewish captive could be elevated above them. And that is why they begin to plot how to get rid of him. In spite of all his power and influence, which he could have used to enrich himself illegally, Daniel was such an upright man that no matter how hard they searched, they found nothing wrong to accuse him of. That is, when they came up with a shameful plan to force him to choose between obeying his god and obeying his king. For a month, nobody could ask anything from anyone human or superhuman, natural or supernatural, except King Darius sounds exactly like a plan conceived by today's militant atheists. And as is often the case today, a statute that is only political in appearance turns out to be religious in practice. The enemies of Daniel devise a plan that seems right on all fronts, because it makes them look good as loyal servants that only seek to unify all the peoples of the empire. Because it reinforces in the minds of all the conquered peoples that their gods have also been conquered. So now they better pray only to the new power, which is King Darius. By the way, this is precisely what the cult of the emperor was designed to do among the Romans. Because all this, of course, flatters the vanity of King Darius. And because at the same time it puts Daniel between a rock and a hard place, forcing him to renounce his god or his employer publicly. Daniel had been serving them both with excellence, but now he has to choose one or the other. Imagine that you are forced to choose between your conscience and your job. What an uncomfortable position. Ah, what a fine swarm of vipers Daniel's colleagues were. Notice that they appear before Darius as a group, as an official delegation, deceitfully implying, therefore, that Daniel has concurred with them. Remember that Daniel was one of the three regents who controlled the 120 satraps, or governors. The other two regents, his colleagues and direct competitors, present Darius with this plan, and Darius has no reason to suspect that Daniel has not agreed with his two colleagues. The new measure commands all the subjects of Babylon to recognize the new authority of Persia over them. So, by all accounts, it seems an excellent political strategy to unify the empire. Any shrewd politician could see how convenient this was, and initially the measure would be on trial only for a month, so Darius thought it was a great idea and gave it his royal seal. The decree specified death in the lions den for the disobedient, and Daniel met one of those dilemmas that life is going to present to all of us sooner or later, regardless of our race, age, color, or religion, without knowing what was happening. Daniel finds himself faced with an odious predicament. He knows that only his relationship with God has allowed him to maintain a sense of identity in the midst of this alien Babylonian culture. And this is a huge issue that will be very worth discussing here in the future. Leave me a comment if you would be interested to do so. To keep his job and his very skin, Daniel will have to renounce his integrity. In this case, to stop praying to God, or to only do it in guilty secret. Daniel must have spent very bitter moments debating this because what sane person wants to suffer or die so violently? With courage, he decides to continue doing what he has always done. Open his windows and pray there with his eyes set on Jerusalem, that city, remember, that he had seen starved, destroyed, and plundered which had become the focus of all his hopes and prayers. To stop praying like that meant to forget and forsake Jerusalem, to recognize that everything was already and forever lost. If Jerusalem was never going to be restored, Daniel was not interested in living any longer. If I have to give up who and what I am, my story and my inspiration, I'd rather not leave, he told himself. Better to die than disappear and dissipate like that. As soon as his cheating colleagues and enemies saw him praying again, and of course they were spying on him all the time, they ran to accuse him with Darius. This is a key moment in the story because this is the moment in which Darius finally opens his eyes and realizes the true aim of the deceitful plot in which his employees have entangled him. And this, of course, will have dire consequences. Darius is extremely anxious, trying to find a way to save Daniel without breaking the law he has signed. He spends all day looking for a way out, but cannot find it. Daniel's cheating colleagues have tied them both with their new law. Darius, who in those days is the most powerful man in the planet, accompanies Daniel to the lion's den, feeling angry, impotent, and trapped. With great anguish and remorse, Darius shouts as the rock is rolled across the opening of the pit to seal it. Your God, to whom you are so loyal, is going to get you out of this. Daniel and Darius spend the night awake, Daniel in fasting and prayer, a prisoner in the lion's den, and Darius, in fasting and remorse, imprisoned with his own lions in the den of his conscience. As soon as dawn arrives the following morning, Darius runs to the lion's den with the distant hope that Daniel's God has saved him from such horrible torment and death. When he hears the voice of Daniel himself telling him that he is still alive, unharmed, because an angel of God closed the lions' mouths, his joy and relief are immense. And now comes the turn of the plotters. Angry Darius decrees for them and their families the same fate that they had decreed for Daniel. And, before they hit the floor, the lions had them in their jaws, tearing them to pieces. Darius had every reason to get rid of them, for they had not only tried to deprive him of his best servant, but they had also lied to him by implying that Daniel had agreed to the new decree. They had deceived and entangled him in this detestable policy and it's never a good idea to bind and anger the most powerful man in the planet. So Darius passes judgment on them and brings Daniel back to the palace with him. Daniel of the lions remained at the peak of power and influence under Darius and kept his close walk with God. Thus it was that years later, under Cyrus, Darius' successor, Daniel received the revelations about the end of the world that appear in chapters 10 through 12 of his book, the book of Daniel, that someday I will read for you here. Leave me a comment to let me know if you would be interested. Daniel, like Job, whom we talked about here in another episode titled Calamity is Not a Punishment, do not miss it. Is a man who does not renounce his integrity and his principles even when the whole world threatens him and wants to cut him down to size. Daniel is a man bigger than the measure his culture wants to impose on him. Integrity is never the fastest or the easiest route. Integrity is often a tough and costly choice. But this is only because by acting with integrity, we are building, creating ourselves as individuals. Instead of using water and sand as the foundation of our house, we are putting rocks and bricks down, which weigh more and cost more, but they last much longer. We build this building that is our life bigger and stronger And this building that is our life will rise taller and much better resist the ravages of any bad weather. Have you ever ended up in the lion's den because you acted with integrity? If you haven't, you still have a way to go. And if you have, congratulations. Because you are moving in the exalted circle of the true prophets. Not the false prophets who get rich and gain power with their words. The true prophets those who delivered their message even when they knew that it would cost them sticks and stones and punches. The fascinating book of Daniel teaches us that we must confront and transform the culture around us whenever that culture commands us to abandon the best we have, our faith, that is our deepest identity and convictions. This may be the time for civil disobedience. We can always change our opinions, our tastes, because opinions and tastes are only circumstantial and therefore mostly irrelevant. Ah, but those convictions that define who and what we are, those we do not change so easily. What best serves our integrity is what best serves our society. We must transform our culture with our integrity. And that is a radiant whisper, if there ever was one. Thank you for listening. If you liked it, click the little heart, leave me a comment, subscribe and share it with your friends.